0: You are listening to Boss. This is a Surgery Series podcast, episode thirteen. I talk with Dr. Janelle Wagner, a plastic at hand surgeon, about doing what you love is not selfish, and dealing with a challenging healthcare system, and how she became the money coach. Welcome, surgeons. Residency didn't teach us everything we need to learn to be a successful surgeon. While we spent our time caring for patients and learning how to operate. We didn't learn how to advocate for ourselves or navigate our career. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Vertries. I'm a general surgeon, certified coach, and founder of the Boss Business of Surgery series. This is where you'll learn those lessons not taught in residency. All right, welcome back. I'm here with a special guest, Dr. Janelle Wagner. She is a plastic surgeon and hand surgeon and founder of moneymedschool.com. She has a fabulous story of how she arrived to becoming the uh, the founder of this moneymedschool.com. And I think that you guys are all going to benefit from hearing her path because a lot of times you're going to find yourself maybe potentially in one of these little pitfalls that she went through along, her, um, along the way and realizing that you're not alone and there's certainly a way out. Dr. Wagner, so tell me a little bit about, I know that you had a non-traditional path going into uh, med school. So tell us a little bit about your non-traditional path and how you uh, ended up going into medical school.
1: When I was about 18 and going into college, I decided I want to be rich and famous and I love photography. I love writing. I'm going to go to film school. And I did that. (laughs) And that was in New York. And I ended up working in television for about a year and a half after that. And I realized, wow, I'm spending 15 hour days working really hard to make a show that not only would I not watch, but it's actually detracting from society. (laughs) It's not not a very positive thing. And I really realized I wanted to have meaning in my work. And for me, that meant helping people. And at the time, I thought, you know, I really want to work with young moms, helping them to have a great childbirth experience. And I want to go into OBGYN, because I think that will be a way to you know help moms and babies get off on the right start and really improve their relationship and just have a great relationship going forward. Um, so I did that Well, I started that. I went to, uh, I had to do a post-bac because I had all of these art classes and no math and science. So I did that. And then I went to medical school at SUNY Downstate in Brooklyn. And during that time I realized I really love surgery. And when it comes to OB, I, I really love catching the baby. Like that's the fun part. And everything before and everything after. Mm, not so much. I really want to operate. And you know, my advisor was a trauma surgeon, and he said, You really should think about that. I thought, you know, I said, yeah, but that's a whole, that's a five-year residency. That's another year. He's like, it's one year. It's it's <laughs> one extra year and i thought okay yeah okay you have a point point. and so i uh, i decided to become a surgeon and that's how i ended up <laughs> doing that yeah i mean what a great advisor that you had i
0: mean can you imagine if if people aren't paying attention. They're just letting you do what you want to do. Cause you're like, Oh no, no, I want to help. I want to help young women. You know, you kind of have this internal thought that you're miserable, but you hold on to this, this fixed idea, like, Oh no, no, this is what we're going to do. Despite mm-hmm. feeling miserable, despite, you know, like a lot of times people even have some of these like body complaints, like, I don't know why I'm so sore and miserable and chronic fatigue. It's 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 just the job. And we sometimes forget that we're internally making ourselves miserable because we're so set on this fixed course until we have a gift of an advisor who says, by the way, you actually don't have to be miserable in your life. I'm just saying. And by the way, one extra year is actually not that big of a deal. And of course, now we know this, but at the time, and maybe some of you all um, out there are thinking this too, is like, well, I can't possibly switch. It'll take X amount of time. Um, it leads us to um, on our right path. So take us um, where next. So I know that then you chose um, a lab where you did some work. So tell us a little bit about that.
1: Uh, yes. And just to follow up with what you were saying about um, doing what you love, I mean, I really struggled because I had it in my head that I am going to be an OBGYN. I'm going to help young moms. I'm going to help babies. And that's, that's meaningful work. And if I go into surgery, I'm just doing that because it's fun for me and it's selfish. And I had to really think that through and be like, well, you know, actually you best help people when you are doing something you love and when you're in a good place. And so that's when I realized, well, yeah, so if I'm doing surgery and I love surgery, then I'll help people more than if I'm forcing myself to do something that isn't the best fit for me because I want to help people. It just You just show up in a better, uh, better place to help people if you're doing something that makes you feel good. So I realized that. So anyway, yes, I went into the lab as a fourth year, between my third and fourth year of general surgery training. I went into the lab at NYU and uh, it was pretty fun. (laughs) Like we didn't have a PhD running the lab. It was just a bunch of residents who wanted to go into plastic surgery and we all supported each other. We were all doing experiments and just kind of coming up with ideas and doing experiments and going to conferences and writing papers. And it was great. It was it was a really great experience.
0: It's so interesting because you even then you bucked the traditional role of, I'm just going to go to someone with an established lab. Uh, You know, you carved your own path of saying that, actually, I know what I want to do. I want to have a community where I can figure all this out and generate some interest uh, because these other opportunities didn't speak to me. Um, And how fascinating that you decided that early on. And how did you end up in your fellowship?
1: (laughs) (laughs) So I, so my first fellowship was plastic surgery, um, and that was great. And then at the end of that, I realized, well, I really want more training in hand because I think it's interesting. And I also think I would just really like to learn more about it in a little more depth. I don't know if I would recommend this path, um, but it worked out well for me. Um, yeah, so I followed a boy, um, and I, went to a fellowship where he was located. And I just got extremely, extremely lucky that I ended up working with amazing people. I ended up working with Susan McKinnon, who is a, you know, internationally recognized innovator in nerve surgery. And I got to learn from the person who invented the procedures we were doing. And, you know, I not only learned surgical technique, but also just you know she's an amazing amazing educator and an inclusive educator and so learning how to teach was also really really eye opening and a great experience and so i got about half of my fellowship was doing peripheral nerve surgery which i before hadn't been on my radar but i ended up really loving it and and then the rest of it was you know regular hand surgery. So I got a really great education and it just all ended up working out. The boy did not work out, but that's okay. (laughs) Because, you know, it was a great professional experience. So folks, I don't know if I would recommend that path professionally, but it can still work out in the end.
0: Yeah, and you know, I mean, I think the most important thing, and this is a great lesson, just all the time, is like the resisting the urge to Monday morning quarterback. I mean, it it's difficult to judge yourself with information that we have now. Um, now obviously, you know, everything worked out for sure. Uh, but you know, had it not worked out, um, you know, we we follow the path that we do at the time with the information we had. It could have just as easily worked out with the boy and not with the fellowship. We, I mean, we honestly just never know. Going from general surgery to plastic surgery, it's so fascinating because. You know, I think that a lot of it goes into we have to choose these paths so early on, you know, medical school and residency and fellowship. And, you know, these are, we're young minds that don't maybe even know what's possible. So I know when we were talking about the reason you chose plastic surgery is that there's so much to do for that. And who would have thought, because even now, I mean, I know something about plastic surgery, but you were sharing how you'd have to know the anatomy of the infants and the males and the females and the, you know, all ages um, and the complexity of the anatomy and, you know, the being able to alter the anatomy in pretty astonishing ways based on you know a lot of the people that you worked with. And so it makes sense, of course, in your early career that you never would have thought of
1: that because we don't even necessarily know what people do. It's true for all of medicine. As a pre-med, you have no idea what a doctor really does. You Mm -hmm. never know what you're getting yourself into until you're doing it. Um, But yeah, plastic surgery nowadays you really need to know as a first-year medical student because most of the programs are integrated. So you're going straight from your uh, medical student life, you know, you graduate medical school, you go straight into a plastic surgery residency. And those are really competitive. And so you have to be cultivating your CV from day one of medical school to get into plastics now.
0: Yeah, I used to think that that was a good thing, you know, like you get on your path faster. But now that I'm, you know, kind of a little bit older, I realize that I don't, Know if we always know what our right path is too, and so are we doing a disservice by you know cutting off a path um, early on? But who knows?
1: We'll never I don't know. know. I think it's interesting. I think that I think there's a lot of opportunity actually in the fourth year of medical school now. Mm-hmm. Why do we need the fourth year of medical school? What do we do? We incur another year of debt. Essentially, mm-hmm. um, we could really use that to get more exposure to fields or even just cut it out altogether, and then use that time in, to have more residency training. I don't know, but I did. I mean, when I finished my training, I was a PGY-10. Uh, we all joked about it <laughs> and I, I love the idea of streamlining the training process for folks, but I also don't love it. Cause I'm like, you know what? I wouldn't trade my general surgery training for anything. I wouldn't trade that lab year for anything. I learned so much in all of that training, Mm -hmm. not just technically, but from a confidence standpoint, I know that somebody could be shot and dying and thrown at my doorstep and I can save their life because I know how to open their chest and I know how to do all those things. And I'm not afraid to do it. And I know how to do critical care. And that all comes from my general surgery training makes me a really confident physician. And. It also opens opportunities to moonlight and things like, you know, moonlight nice ICU, like I can do that comfortably, but maybe if I had done integrated, I might not feel that way. I don't know. It's, it's impossible to know when you've only done it one way, what might have been.
0: Like that idea that you basically took every rotation and gathered something from it. You know, a lot of times we think of some of these rotations we may not like or may not think that apply as much and kind of discard it and just try to get through it. Um, But really, you know, kind of living in the moment and taking uh, appreciation for what you do helps a little bit with this idea of time scarcity like there's never enough time or I'm wasting my time um, that we really can learn an appreciation for something at the time, which, um, you know, is I think also a really helpful lesson. Now, I know that you were at Temple for five and a half years, so you went back to where you trained. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, doing uh, general plastic surgery um, and then also, you know, some more specialized hand surgery. So take me through this this time. Um, you know, what
1: are some of the things that you learned in that five and a half years? Oh, well, I learned a lot. <laughs> <laughs> when you begin as a new trainee uh, and becoming an attending and being that there's a funny meme on the internet, it's of a cat with big eyes and it's like looking around like, I went to ask the attending and then I realized I'm the attending, you know, I'm looking for the more attending or <laughs> attending and I need another more attending or attending. <laughs> so, yeah, I think I real. I learned a lot of things. I learned how to, you know, really create the practice that I wanted and to uh, start to understand what was a good fit for me personally, um, how to, be a leader. I think that's a huge thing. I know it seems obvious in retrospect, like, okay, yeah, you're a doctor. So you're kind of a leader. But at the time I didn't really realize that. Now I realize you're always a leader in what you're doing because people are always watching you and learning from you, whether it be patients, whether it be medical students, residents, whether it be your staff, everybody, you set the tone and you lead the team in the OR and out of the OR. Mm -hmm. And You know, so when you first become an attending, it's like really hitting that pace. Like, oh, wait a minute, I set the tone now? Oh, I'm not just going with the flow. I'm not just showing up and figuring out what they want and how I can do okay with that. No, now I'm setting the tone. Um, And so that's a really, at first it can seem intimidating, but then you get good at it and then you hit your stride. So I think that was one of the biggest things
0: that your that idea of setting the pace is such a perfect one. Um, and you know, and also your uh, mention about the meme is, is so relevant too, because what happens when we're in attending, exactly. like we finish and we're like, all right, we're here and then like, oh my gosh, we're here. now what? Um, and setting the pace is a really great metaphor because it's not like you hit the ground running. you know, we kind of like, we walk a little bit and then we jog a few times and then we start walking again and then we jog faster. Um, And then you build your team as you go along. And so I think that's really a critical lesson for people who are going to be new attending soon, all these graduating chief residents and fellows is that you know, no one expects you to do everything from day one. You know That's why you have a gu- guaranteed salary. That's why you have to have a lot of forgiveness. Um, and in our December book club, How Women Rise, they talk about building allies, You know, knowing that you don't have to do it all yourself. And in fact, we do ourselves a lot of disservice when we focus on expertise. We sit in our office, we shut the door, like I'll come out when I can figure it all out. And of course, then looking externally, what happens is we don't build those allies that can actually help us as we go along. Um, and so I think the idea of setting your pace is really, really helpful. Now, I know that we talked about one job that you had to where you felt like, you know, really attracted a lot of young talent of uh, people who wanted to change the system. Take me through a little bit of your experience of this job where you tried to change a system.
1: Okay, and I also would admit, I would something that I was thinking of what, regarding your previous comment is that as a new attending, well, really throughout your training and also in your career, you really, really need to understand how valuable you are and how much worth you have. And I think that we are taught very early on, we're not worthy, you know, like, Oh, I'm a measly medical student. Can I please watch your surgery? Or I'm, I'm just a resident. I'm just an intern. What do I know? You know, like there's that mentality. And even as a new attending, you know, you're going to get a crappy contract. You got to negotiate it. Right. So, but we're so like, Oh, I'm not worthy. Oh my God. Yeah. Just give me that contract. It's more money than I've ever seen. I'll just sign it. You know, cause what do I know? We don't value ourselves cause we, it gets trained out of us. So just know you're really valuable. You're really worthy and um, be secure in that. So just want to throw that out there,
0: but you eliminate the word "I'm just a" uh, from all vocabulary.
1: I was at a conference, no purpose but
0: to weekend. minimize us.
1: Exactly. You know, I was at a conference last weekend, and I met. Um, it was mostly attendings, but I met two women. I was like, "Oh, you know, where do you work?" They're like, "Oh, we're medical students," and I'm like, "You're great. I'm so glad that you're here because you need to see this now. You need to learn these things now." and you could just see their faces relax and they were just cuz they were afraid to admit that they were you know these interlopers who snuck in here somehow no 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 you are you need to be here they were relieved to be accepted and welcomed because i think students you know we're, they're not at a lot i remember when i was a fourth year medical student the acs started inviting students to come for free and it was in new orleans And I was all excited. And I went down there and I was riding the escalator up at some point. And there were these two old dudes, old crotchety dudes on the elevator or escalator in front of me. And they were like, what are you, you know? And I was like, oh, I'm a medical student. I'm a fourth year medical student. I'm going into surgery. I was all excited. And they were like, they let students in here now. I don't think it's like that anymore. But at the time it was like, wow. Yeah, I think that mentality has changed
0: a bit, but the, our own personal minimization is still prevalent. And it's so interesting because it's the comparisonitis, you know, we compare ourselves to different levels and and always feel inadequate. Um, So I like to remind the, especially the medical students who, who they are. I mean, when you're surrounded by people who are doing the same thing, it's hard to feel special, but I, I like to step back and say, okay, you graduated high school, right? You've already outpaced some people you've now finished. College outpaced a lot of people. You made it into medical school. That's a huge cut. You finished med school. You had to be persistent to do it. You are actually a highly trained, highly educated uh, success already, more so than a majority of people in the population. And it's so funny because it is stating simple facts, but to see people's face light up like, oh my gosh, yes. And this translates to how we present ourselves in. To patients, like I'm just a medical student. It translates to how we write our CVs, um, which is you know, one of our good ways of conveying who we are as, as a person. Um, and also, what we bring to a table uh, the negotiation is that if we continue to minimize ourselves and we don't really even step back and take a look at the facts um, and make ourselves open to how much we have already achieved. Uh, then it's, you know, it's hard to expect anyone else to think that either. So it it definitely starts with our own perspective on on who we are.
1: Absolutely. And just, you got to believe in yourself and know how truly valuable you are. Um, So yes, going back to your question about changing a system.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So do I believe you can change a system? Yes, I think you can change a system, you can change a culture, you have to know that it's an investment of your time and your energy. So changing a system and a culture takes ages, years. Um, But before you invest your time and energy, you have to decide whether or not your system can be changed. Is your system amenable to change? Is your culture amenable to change? Um, If it is, then, then the next question is, okay, what's my return on this investment? If I change this culture, Will patients be served better? Will my colleagues be happier? Will we have more physician wellness? Will we have a better experience you know, for everyone? If that's true, then I think that's a worthwhile investment. And that's somewhere you can have, build a career and also eventually retire from there, somewhere like that. And then you have to be very honest with yourself when you ask these questions, because the tendency is going to be to want to say, yeah, 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 but I can do it they may not have been able to fix it, but I can fix it. Or I have no evidence to believe that a system is fixable, but I can do it, you know, just me all by myself. Like that's not gonna happen. So if you honestly ask yourself, is this system amenable to change? Do I have a supportive administration who wants me to help out? Do I have colleagues who also want this change? Are my desired changes in line? with my institution's goals? Um, Am I valued here? You know, all of these things. So if if the answers are no, then it's okay to admit that and accept it and say, okay, maybe this is a system I can't change. And it's okay to go somewhere else where I'll be in a better place for me. Um, I don't have to, Fix every problem. I don't have to fix every broken system. The number one thing that's most important is me. Okay. It's not selfish to say that. Mm -hmm. I need to be happy. I need to take care of myself. I need to be a well physician. My wellness is important because all of the wellness of my patients, my trainees, my staff, my colleagues, my system is going to stem from that. If I don't take care of myself, if I'm not healthy, If I'm suffering, if I'm struggling, uh, how am I going to help anybody? How am I going to help heal patients? How am I going to teach anybody? How am I going to have energy for anybody? It's, you know, so it's not selfish to start with you. And you just have to find a place that's a really good fit for you and that you can feel joy in your work and that you are supported. And that if there are things that need to be changed, people are amenable to, to doing that. And it can't just be you everybody has to be on board with that. So yes, that's what I would say.
0: I know that, you know, when we talked before, um, we started recording, um I think that you really had a great point about this idea of feeling like a victim in the system. This is something that, that coaches help with because we start to identify when we start feeling like a victim. Now, you can be in a terrible system. And, you know, quite honestly, a lot of people are, um, where they're not very responsive to it. You know, we, Dr. Shub last week, um, you know, she's my administrator. If she's an administrator everywhere. I think there would be no problems in medicine. <laughs> but, you know, that's not the reality with some people's systems. They may be dealing with difficult administrators or difficult leaders along their hierarchy and the most important aspect is that a lot of times these people can make us feel bad that they conduct themselves or we try to make changes and things don't work out the way we want Um, it's very very easy to slip in this idea of they are the villain and i am the victim and it's very very important to recognize when we're feeling like a victim because you know is that ever a place of empowerment you know that lets us we feel bad about ourselves It doesn't make us want to go to work anymore, things like that. And you can actually, you know, once you recognize that you're slipping into the victim role, and we all do, honestly, is realizing that, oh, I see where these thoughts are coming from. You know, I see that these thoughts are leading me down this path. And, you know, I I got coaching this recently, which was really fantastic of saying that you can be in a bad system and you can feel like they're the villain, but it doesn't mean that you're the victim. You know, just because you have assigned a role to someone doesn't mean you have to assign the opposing role. Um, You could say, this system is terrible and I can do my part so I can help the patients that I want and I can make these changes that can help. And that's, you know, one part is recognizing the victim villain role aspect and how you don't have to play along with that. Um, And the second thing that is most, most critical, I think that your point was, it's okay to leave a system. You know, it could be, and, you know, quite honestly, it could be a great system for someone else, but as soon as you identify, this is not a system that you're going to thrive in for whatever reason is not assigning guilt to them or you or anybody else to say that it is time to move on. And so many of us are resistant to doing that. So what would you tell the person who is in that system, who feels resistant to this idea?
1: So first of all, you're never trapped. I think a lot of us feel trapped. Uh personally I was like, well, I always have to I have to always work, you know, as a surgeon or else I'll never pay off my student loans. And then we'll, you know, all die alone in a gutter. Or if I have to, if I don't do this, like, oh, I have a non-compete, well, I'll never work again because I have to, you know, respect this covenant. Or, you know, just a lot of you get these ideas in your head that are very limiting. I think that, you know, the first is to accept that you not trapped you're never trapped as a physician as a surgeon you have unlimited possibilities you're highly educated you're highly trained and you are highly highly valuable highly worthy and valuable you can do anything you want to do it's just a matter of believing that mm-hmm. because if you think you're trapped you are trapped but if you start to just entertain the concept of Maybe there's another possibility that could be a good fit for me and it's okay to check it out. Doing something different, either leaving a particular job or even leaving medicine is not quitting. It's about finding your joy, about finding what will make you the best life for you because otherwise, what are we doing? (laughs) Otherwise, what's the point, right? You know, um, And I know that you discovered this with
0: the help of a coach. Um, So you found your coach back in December, 2019. And, you
1: know, how did that change how you approached everything and and what did that lead you to? Yeah. So my coach is fantastic. Um, She's a career coach and she, um, you know, I was ready to just kind of start from square one. Like, let's just start with what do I love to do? What would bring me joy? Like that was my leading goal. My number one goal is I want to find joy in my work. What is it that would, what, what role would be that for me? So, you know, I, she had a structured program that we started with where you over 10 weeks, you learn what are your strengths uh, of those strengths? What do you like doing? Because just because you have a strength doesn't mean it's something you actually enjoy doing. Um, So how can you work in your zone of genius? How can you find what you're looking for in, in a career and that kind of thing? And so I was willing to, to just go at it with a totally open mind. And if I would find that the answer didn't happen to be surgery, I was going to be okay with that because I realized my happiness is more important than forcing myself into some role just because Oh, I don't know. I spent the last 20 years of my life learning how to do that. (laughs) Just because I did that doesn't mean I have to do that forever. So, yeah. And then after the more structured program, um, I did some like long-term coaching. Um, Yeah. And so really throughout this process, I was able to identify my strengths. You know, I really love strategy. I, I love big picture. I love problem solving, building, creating, all those types of things. Detailed execution is like, maybe not my strength. (laughs) Um, But that being said, I can do it, but it's not the funnest part for me. Um, And throughout all of this work, you know, one of the things that came to light was, you know, you, you know, you have other interests and you can actually create Businesses, or you can create roles for yourself that really fulfill those areas too.
0: Along those lines, you know, as your, your career is taking turns, you're not quite sure about, I know that, you know, money came up for you and then this idea of your interest in money. Uh, so take me through how you picked your first financial advisor, which was absolutely fantastic.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, as I, you know, I think when I was a fellow, probably getting close to graduating, I had this you know, looming sense of like, all right, you're going to start to be making more money and what are you going to do about it? You know, I, I had a, I had an understanding like, well, I know I shouldn't just go hog wild and start buying houses and cars and Lamborghinis and all that crazy stuff. But at the same time, what can I do? I mean, can I, what can I afford? Like, I don't know. How do I manage my money? I don't know. And the only thing I know knew at the time was, well, I guess you need a financial advisor because that's what everybody else does. And I didn't trust myself to do it because I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't even know you could DIY personal finance. I just thought it was complicated and boring. So I didn't trust myself to do it because I was like, I'm never going to do that. <laughs> and I don't know what I'm doing. So I kind of asked around my attending, they knew people and it was just, no one really knew anything. And, you know, you get invited to all these free steak dinners uh, from these advisors. And so I went to a number of those. Finally, I selected my advisor based on, you know, the one with the most honest looking haircut. And this dude had a bowl cut. It was like, he just put a bowl right there. I said, he's the one for me. He is not slick. No one who has a haircut like that is going to be pulling anything over on me because he's totally not slick at all. That was my financial (laughs) decision-making process. Don't necessarily recommend that. Well, I think it's fantastic
0: because, I mean, you're already showing your money mindset at the time. You know, it's complicated and boring. Therefore, you know, I'm going to pick someone who is complicated, boring and not slick. You know, and it also spoke a little bit to your fear of like, I don't want someone who's slick who's going to take my money. And of course, you know, we, we talked about this. Uh, you basically found out that your financial advisor didn't know as much as you thought. And it, this led you onto your own path for financial freedom and doing it yourself. And so take us a little bit to how you then became um, the Money Med School founder.
1: You know, once I finished all my boards and kind of got settled in and attending, I, I started learning actually about the stock market. Um, I stumbled across a webinar that taught about options trading. And I was like, what is that? I've never heard of that. And I watched it and I thought, what? You, you can make money. You can make your money and just make money by investing it really. It was like a really exciting concept. And so as I learned more about that, I started thinking, well, what is my money invested in? Because now I started to understand how it worked. And once I looked at that, I was like, "Oh, you know, in TD Ameritrade, at least in all of these accounts, you can just click on your investment and it'll bring up a little graph of your investment versus the s and p 500. <laughs> if you're seeing this kind of pattern, you know your investments are not performing very well. So uh, that's what I saw. When I looked into what he had picked, I was like, oh, these investments aren't performing very well. And uh, yeah, you could just pick a S&P 500 index fund that did the exact same thing as the S&P 500. And then I wouldn't have to pay him one and a half percent of all of my money. I started realizing that true expense of, having him do it. And then on top of that, I realized, Hey, wait a minute. Even if my investments lose money, he still gets paid one and a half percent of all my money. And my bank account balances are always going up because I put money in every month. They're not going up because investments perform well. So he's always going to make money off my money, even when I'm not making money off my money. All right. I can do this. Now I know that you offer
0: this program to other people and it's so fascinating to see now. I mean, we can clearly see your journey, which I'm sure is very difficult to see at the time, you know, starting off with the film uh, school, like this is really interesting and fascinating and, but not really seeing where you fit in there. Um, But then, you know, I want to serve people. So I'm going to serve young moms, but then realizing that doesn't quite fit. And then I'm going to change the system. And then you realize, I don't think I really wanna change the system. And so then your interest led you to um, finances, which sounds like you also hit your stride with that too. Like we initially think it's boring and complicated and we have to pick the people that maybe won't rip us off. And then, with gradual interest um, over time, building our found of knowledge and realizing, well, of course, I could do this. And I think this goes back to your point of we never really feel confident in ourselves, but then we forget, I'm a doctor, I'm a surgeon. Of course, I could figure out these graphs and charts and things like that too. Um, but it can still be overwhelming. And a lot of us, you know, when we look down and think about financial planning and getting our house in order, you know, a lot of us don't have time to do this. And I think the one thing that's really Cool about your program is the amount of time that it actually takes is not that much. And of course, you know, you would take them through that. So tell me a little bit of the program that you offer um, that helps people um, you know, learn more about their finances.
1: Yeah. So Money Med School is designed to teach you the facts that you need to know, but then actually t- take action, put them into action, and start managing your money successfully and confidently um, because there's a little mind trick when you maybe read something and learn a little something. You think you've done something, but you actually never actually opened that IRA or whatever. You learned how to do it, but then like you didn't do anything. I think it's really important to kind of narrow down what it is you need to know. What I call, you know, it's a high yield financial facts. Only what you need to know. It's a system that you you learn how to do it, you set it up, you set up your system. And then it's like your peripheral brain, it's managing all your money for you. So you don't really need to be spending a lot of time or brain power on it uh, once it's set up. So if you do like, there's two ways to work together. One is this self-directed way, which is you do the program on your own, at your own pace. So it's six modules, you can do them about a week at a time. And that's about a two to three hour investment of time over that period to get your system set up. And then once your system is set up, you check in 30 minutes a month and you're done. So you're confidently managing your money. You are on top of everything. You don't have to keep all of that in the back of your head. You don't have to worry about it and wonder, ugh, you know, am, are my investments making money? Am I getting ripped off? You don't have to worry about that because you're doing it yourself. And the beauty of all this is that you do it together with a community, with me, and the money med school community. Everybody's in it together. Because finally, when you're, you know, there's a big difference between learning information, and then putting it into use and putting it into action. And it's really helpful to do that in a supportive environment with other people who are also doing that. Because then it's like, all right, uh, I'm trying to do this. What do you guys think? Has anyone tried to do this? Or if you did this, how did this go? And you can kind of play with it a little bit. And You know, it's important to avoid shame when we talk about money. Um, You know, my group is very, very focused on avoiding shame. This is not about judging and shaming, and it's about supporting. So I don't care if you want to go buy a Tesla, buy a Tesla, enjoy it. It's not a shameful thing. It's like you can still, you can have nice things and, you know, pay off your loans and invest your money. All of these things are possible. That's, you know, it's supposed to be fun. (laughs) So that's the goal.
0: Yeah, and I mean that's the thing as I have done a majority of myself too. I also have a lot of interest in finances um, because really that's where we get our control of, of stuff. I mean, like we can look at it and be intimidating and, and put our head in the sand, or we can kind of like take it head on. Um, and when I have taken it head on, it's so intimidating. Um, it's remembering again, you're you're picking up your stride. And why not have a money coach right next to you of saying, like, here's some self directed stuff, two to three hours a week, you know, give it this time and then maybe 30 minutes a month. You know, when you when you put it in that frame, who wouldn't want to do that? Um, Because it can be so intimidating. Quite honestly, um, one thing that feeds into us devaluing ourselves is forgetting how much hourly our time is worth. You know, if you look at as a surgeon, our hourly time, because a lot of these programs, coaching programs, you know, money med school, all these, you look at these amounts and go, oh my gosh. But then when you step back and say, my time It's actually if you can get me from point A to point B faster, then you know, in the the retrospect, it is so hard not to pass up investing in ourselves and having someone who get us there faster. And people have seen this long time with athletes and business. You know, if you can get results from A to B faster, then these investments are worth it. And it really is time. To start investing in ourselves, both our minds with coaching, because look where it has gotten you and with money, because look where you've gotten other people too. And so really opening ourselves up to the, t- the the thought that we are valuable. Therefore we must invest in our best resource, which is us. And part of that also is finances. So we're not at the mercy of other people too. And of course that is implying a thought that money p- puts you at the mercy of other people, which we also know is not true. Um, and so, well, gosh, I just want on a rant there, but whatever.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it was important. You know, I think a lot of us, and I know I did, it took me a while to realize I was doing this, but we approach personal finances or any large project the same with the same level of intensity and focus and commitment as we approach medicine and surgery.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it does not require that. <laughs> like, Does not require that i mean advisors will tell you it requires that because they need you to hire them but uh i've already made it simple i'm whittled it all down to just what you need to know so you don't have to waste time figuring that out and then i put it into a little you know structure for you so the system's all there you just got to put in your info and there's a whole group of people helping you do it so this does not require the number of brain cells that it does to be a surgeon or a physician at all. It's totally different. We, we think it's as intense, but it is nowhere near as intense. It's very simple. It's like shockingly simple. Once you figure out what it is and you're like, I can't believe I was paying some guy, all this money, like five figures of money to do this. When I could have just done it myself and save that money. Like,
0: Yeah. But that's the, the thought that holds everyone back, right? If you think I have to approach this with the intensity that I did for my surgery training, who wants to do that? Mm-mm. And once you realize I could pick up my stride, I could pick up a little bit of time. Dr. Weiner could take me through this pretty easily. Um, and so those are some of the things I think that, you know, dispelling those myths are going to be really important too. Um,
1: so now where can people find you Moneymedschool.com, Correct moneymedschool.com. And I'm on the IG at moneymedschool and also YouTube at youtube.com slash C slash moneymedschool. Yes. And no, is that C the letter C or S E? The letter C. Mm-hmm.
0: And I think that's really helpful too because there's so much, you know, free content out there as well. I mean, going to a YouTube channel, um, and you can already gain a lot of inf- information there too. So if you're not sure where to start, you know, these are clearly some places to start. Um, so Dr. Reiner, thank you so much for coming on and helping us really identify navigating career changes. And also letting go of these ideas of what we should do so we can become who we actually are. We will actually serve people better when we do what feels selfish, which is to identify our strengths and do what works best.
1: The happiest person is able to serve most people the best.
0: Absolutely.